2 Samuel 11, 1 through 15. In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained in Jerusalem. One evening, David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of the palace. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful, and David sent someone to find out about her. The man said, she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Then David sent messengers to get her. She came to him, and he slept with her. Now she was purifying herself from her monthly uncleanliness. Then she went back home. The woman conceived and sent word to David, saying, I am pregnant. So David sent word to Joab, send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent him to David. When Uriah came to him, David asked how Joab was, how the soldiers were, how the war was going. Then David said to Uriah, go down to your house and wash your feet. So Uriah left the palace, and a gift from the king was sent after him. But Uriah slept at the entrance of the palace with all his master's servants and did not go down to his house. David was told Uriah did not go home. So he asked Uriah, haven't you just come from a military campaign? Why didn't you go home? Uriah said to David, the ark and Israel and Judah are staying in tents, and my commander Joab and my Lord's men are camped in the open country. How could I go to my house to eat and drink and make love to my wife? As surely as you live, I will not do such a thing. Then David said to him, stay here one more day, and tomorrow I will send you back. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day and the next. At David's invitation, he ate and drank with him, and David made him drunk. But in the evening, Uriah went out to sleep on his mat among his master's servants. He did not go home. In the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it with Uriah. In it, he wrote, put Uriah out in front where the fighting is fiercest. Then withdraw from him so that he will be struck down and die. In Ephesians 3, 14 to 21, for this reason, I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. 
And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. And the Gospel of John 6, 1 through 21. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is the Sea of Tiberias, and a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had promised by healing the sick. Then Jesus went on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, it would take more than a half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Uh, here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will they go among so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. There are there was plenty of grass in that place, and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. Glory to God. When they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, Gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. After the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, Surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. When evening came, his disciples went down to the lake, where they got into a boat and set off across the lake for Capernaum. By now it was dark, and Jesus had not yet joined them. 
a strong wind was blowing and the waters grew rough. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on the water, and they were frightened. But he said to them, it is I, don't be afraid. Then they were willing to take him into the boat and immediately the boat reached the shore where they were heading. Glory to God, amen. Thank you, Amita. She did a good job reading, didn't she? Had a lot of interest in that. Thank you. Thank you so much. For our message today, it's my privilege to uh, introduce uh, Luke, my grandson, and uh, he's going to bring the message. As most of you know, he's been to India with me, what, three or four times? And uh, when he goes, every time, from the very first time, Dr. Matthew Thomas says, you've got to preach, Luke. So he has to preach a first service in church while he's there. This last trip, he preached, what, five, six times in a week. He just had him preaching over and over. And uh, I thought, man, he does a good job. And I'm so happy that uh, this will be the first time he's ever preached to our congregation here. But uh, I'm not worried a bit because he does a good job. And uh, Pastor Darrell felt it would be good to have Luke uh, give the message in his, uh, uh, in his absence today. So would you please welcome Luke Merrill for the message. Thank you, thank you. Thank you, Grandpa. I love you, Grandpa. That was so sweet. We should go back to India sometime. That was a lot of fun. It's good to be together this morning in the house of God, isn't it? I am so glad that you all are here. And I'm especially glad and happy that my fiance, the beautiful Hannah, is here with her family, the Khakis. She's right there. I was sitting next to her. They are wonderful, and uh, her father, Pastor Jared, is pastor at Rock Church in Rockford, and uh, he could have used his Sunday off to go anywhere, anywhere to hear a message, and he decided to come to Christian Life Church and hear his future son-in-law preach. Good decision. Good decision this morning. And it's so good to be with all of you here, and also I have my friend Justin, who's from another church visiting. He's a good friend, and uh, thank you, Justin, for coming out. And so, and to all my other fans, I'm just showing you. Um, but it's so good to be here today And what I like to call big kid church because I work with the kids. I'm the children's pastor here, and it's, we have a lot of fun in there. And so we're in big kid church right now. But how many of you know we're going to have a good time in big kid church today too? I'm so grateful for people like Eleanor Bettel and Danielle who are leading our kids today so I can be in here. So thank you for them. And I'm just glad that the little kids, the big kids, we can all be here today. And I'm honored and humbled to be standing before you today teaching from God's Word. And I'm honored because this was a dream of mine since I was a little kid. And I felt the call of God at a young age to be a pastor. It took a lot to get me to this place today. And I saw my dad preaching when I was a kid, and I wanted to be like dad, but I also wanted to follow God's footsteps. And I'm just so privileged to be here today. And I'm also humbled because I'm preaching in front of so many people that showed me Jesus. There's a lot of teachers here, a lot of pastors here that taught me about Jesus. There's a lot of leaders in this church have, that have walked around and showed me what it's like to walk like Jesus. And to all of you here, all my friends here, you're all my friends, you show me Jesus in our interactions and I'm thankful for you. So thank you. 
I'm excited that you all are here. And I'm grateful by God's grace I can give something back. And God has placed a topic of my heart this morning. I'm excited to preach on it. I encourage you to take notes this morning and write down anything that sticks out to you and review it over and over again because this message is for everyone here. My title this morning is The Power of Our Posture. The Power of Our Posture. And I want to give you a tour this morning. I want you guys to all come on a tour with me, and we're going to tour God's school of submission. I want to show you around God's school of submission. And we'll look at the life of David as Amita read for us this morning. We're going to look at the life of David, and to start off, I want to compare his life to the life of King Saul before him. And King Saul was the first king of Israel. He was anointed by God, and he was a good king. And a lot of times when I think of King Saul, I think of him attacking David. And of course, David came on the scene when uh, he fought Goliath. How many of you are familiar with that story? What a powerful story. I love telling our kids about it because you have this young kid that was around sheep his whole life fighting against this nine-foot giant, this huge guy that's been fighting people his whole life. It's the odds are against him unless you believe in the power of God. And so I love this story, and I love David, and he comes on the scene, and he's comforting Saul with a harp, and Saul throws his spear at David and tries to kill him. And he has, Saul has his pride in his heart against David, and we think, I think of David, or David as this good guy, and Saul as this bad guy in the story. But I'm going to show you today that Saul and David were very similar people. David and Saul both had a similar upbringing in this farm village. When we find Saul, and he was anointed king, he was searching for his father's donkeys. So Saul was with the donkeys, and David was in, with the sheep in Bethlehem. And the only reason why we know of Bethlehem is because of Jesus, who came in the line of David. But they both have this similar upbringing. They both came from nothing, and they were both anointed by God. They both prophesied under God's power. They did many things under God's power, but it says in the Word that even Saul prophesied under the God's power. And they were both great warriors in battle. They had great exploits and they had victory for Israel. And today I want to show you that both David and Saul were both broken men. Very broken. Just like all of us here. We are very broken. We need God. And David, you're like, David, wasn't he a mighty king? Wasn't he powerful? He slayed the giant? But in the Bible we see that most of his life David is running for his life. He's running against, away from King Saul. He's running from his own son Absalom, who starts a coup and starts taking over the kingdom. And he's running away for his life. He's, you know, most would say he's a coward. But we know by God's power he could do many great things. But they were both broken. And of course Saul was broken because he had pride in his heart against David. He was jealous that David would become king instead of his own son Jonathan. Like, how could that be? And so we see that these, both of these men were broken. Now I'm going to give you a quote this morning. I encourage you to write it down. God calls everyone, but God uses the broken. God uses everyone, or God calls everyone, and God uses the broken. And this will be on the screen, but my main thought for today is that everyone is broken. The difference between Saul and David is that David admitted that he was broken. And then God could use him in his broken place. And today I'm talking about the power of posture. 
And the first posture I want to introduce, I have three this, for you this morning, is the posture of pride. The posture of pride. And I'm going to attribute this posture to Saul because he thought he could go on without God's help. Because Saul had a prideful heart, I'm going to attribute this to him. And Saul was, David the, Saul was jealous at David that he would become king and not his own son. And David also had a prideful heart as well because I want you to know that everyone is broken. Not just the mighty king David or the broken man Saul. They're both broken. They both need Jesus. They both needed God's help and His anointing. And Amita read for us this morning, 2 Samuel 12 or 11, and our reading went over the great sin of David. And David was at the wrong place at the wrong time doing the wrong thing. Verse 1 of 2 Samuel 11 that Amita read for us tells us that while all the other kings went out to battle, David stayed behind in Jerusalem. That's the first mistake. He was supposed to go out into battle, but he stayed behind. And this is not in the Bible, but I wonder if David was staying back for Bathsheba. It's not in Scripture. I know he inquired of her in the Scripture to see who she was, but I wonder right before he was about to leave, he saw Bathsheba. I wonder if this was not just the first time, and I say that because to do all that David did in his great sin against God in one day, in one thought, might not have been the whole story. And I believe everything that happened in Scripture, I'm just adding this thought because I believe David was eyeing Bathsheba for maybe some time and Satan was planting seeds in David's heart and he was whispering, David, check out Bathsheba. Do what you want. God's way is not best. And I say that. I don't know what Satan said to David to tempt him. But I say that because that's what pride is. It's us thinking that our way is better than God's way. Pride is thinking our way is better than God's way. So whether that happened or not, I'm just saying there was something in his heart that was not right for King David, who was supposed to be an upright man after God's own heart, right? Hmm. Pride is the root of all sin. Pride is the root of all sin. We think we're better than God. We can do it our own way. And we all sin, and we all have pride that we have to deal with. We're all broken. That's my main point, is that we're all broken. And so we all deal with this posture of pride. So what does it look like to have this posture of pride? I think of it like this. I'm going to use me in this handy chair right here, and it's kind of like this. I do a lot of illustrations, so bear with me. It's going to be a fun time in church. But it's like, kind of like, I'm not going to sit down. I'm refusing to sit down. I'm puffed up. Kind of like this. But it says in the Word that Jesus is seated, right? Where is He seated? On the right hand of who? Father. So he's seated. Let me tell you what Jesus is not doing. He's not doing like this. Oh, Lord, what's going to happen? God, you know what's happening down there? You see these people? They're crazy. You know, I don't know what's going to happen. No, 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 no. He's not pacing. He's not worried. He's seated because he's got the power. God gave him the power. He has all authority. And he says to us, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. And he gives it to us. It's a transfer of power. It goes from God to the Son to us. And we can have power through the Son. And with pride, we can't have power. With pride, there's no power. And David wanted Bathsheba more than he wanted God's way. And when we have this posture of pride, we're telling God that we want our way instead of his way. And we act like we're not broken. Oh, 
oh man, how David tried to cover his sin. Try to act like he's not broken. Oh, how Saul tried to kill David, just get rid of his problems. Instead of let God have his way with King David. And we pretend that everything's okay. But of course the key is to admit that we're broken. And that brings about my second point for you this morning, is the posture of humility. The posture of humility. And I attribute this to David because he knew he needed God. He was desperate for God. And I, if you, I invite you to turn with me to 2 Samuel chapter 12. It's the next chapter after the chapter Amida read for us. But it shows us the consequences of David's great sin. And I love how beautifully God orchestrates his messages for his people. Grandpa, Pastor Merrill, last week spoke about the kings of Israel. And this week I'm talking about the kings of Israel last week. And he talked about how we need to be careful what we pray for. We've got to make sure we're honoring God. And if we live for God, he'll be for us. And we'll have our kingdom be okay. And we'll have, be prosperous. But if we fall away from God, bad things are going to happen. And there were a lot of evil kings that Grandpa discussed. But Grandpa had a quote about King David. It'll be on the screen. He said, David was a great sinner. But he was also a great repenter. David was a great sinner, but he was also a great repenter. And 2 Samuel chapter 12, if you're there, we'll look at verses 13 to start. And Nathan was called by God to confront David. And we'll pick it up in verse 13. And David said to Nathan about the sin that he committed, he said, I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan replied, the Lord has taken away your sin. You're not going to die. But because by doing this, you have shown utter contempt for the Lord. There's that pride. The son born to you will die. And David's son is going to die because of David's great sin. And we see in verse 15, after Nathan had said, had gone home, the Lord struck the child that Uriah's wife had born David and all, to David, and he became ill. David pleaded with God for the child. He fasted and spent the nights laying in sackcloth for the child. The elders of this household stood before him to get up from the ground, but he refused, and he would not eat any food with them. So he's pleading, and he has this posture of humility. And the way I picture this, instead of being puffed up, we get from a position like this, and we just humble ourselves. We get down, we get on our knees, or we sit, and we're just like, God, I need you. And we get in this posture of worship. And we say, God, we need you. We admit that we're broken. And as David said, I have sinned against the Lord. But he's faithful to forgive us every time. But there's consequences to what we do. And we see this in David's life. And when we have this posture of humility, we're telling God that we need him because of our brokenness. We can't do it without him. So that's what it's all about. You just got to say, I need you, Jesus. Come into my life. I need you. I can't do this on my own. I need your forgiveness. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. I want to live for you forever. Amen. And we admit that everything's not okay. And so we have two choices this morning. We have a posture of pride or a posture of humility where we can humble ourselves before God. And the choice is ours. And I said I had a third posture for you this morning. And I'm going to give it to you. But this third posture is on God's doing. Let's pick up the story of King David in verse 18. On the seventh day, the child died. 
David's attendants were afraid to tell him that the child was dead, for they thought while the child was still living, he couldn't listen to us when we spoke to him. How can we now tell him that the child's dead? He may do something desperate. David noticed that his attendants were whispering among themselves, and he realized that the child was dead. Is the child dead, he asked. Yes, they replied, he is dead. Then David got up from the ground, and after he washed, he put on lotions and changed his clothes. He went into the house of the Lord and worshipped. He went to his own house, and at his request, they served him food, and he ate. The attendants asked him, why are you acting this way? David, why are you acting like this? While, he, while the child was alive, you fasted and you wept, but now that the child is dead, you get up and eat? David answered them, while the child was still alive, I fasted and I wept. I thought, who knows? The Lord may be gracious to me and let the child live. But now that he is dead, why should I go on fasting? Can I bring him back again? I will go to him, but he will not come back to me. And David repented and humbled himself before God. And when David got his answer, he got up under God's power. I can't imagine losing a child, what David went through. It's got to be horrific. I don't know, but it's got to be crushing. I would not want to get up. But somehow he managed to get up. And I believe it's because of God's power resting on him. There's no other way you can get up from something so drastic and crushing, just really depressing. I don't know how he got up, unless he had hope. Unless he had hope that he would get another son. Hmm. Where's your hope today? In our reading for this weekend, we have Psalm 145, verses 10 to 18, and I want to read for you verses 13 and 14. It'll be on the screen. In verse 13, it says, Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures through all generations. The Lord is trustworthy in all He promises and faithful in all He does. The Lord upholds all who fall and lifts up all who are bowed down. So there's your posture of humility. He lifts up all who are bowed down. And David might not have gotten his son healed, but he got his second son as a gift from God, Solomon, from Bathsheba. So God was faithful to David, even when David was unfaithful to God. God's power comes when we are humbled before him. And this posture of power, I need you to do something for me, because I work in kids' ministry, and we, whenever we do strength or power in a verse, you've got to flex. Can I, someone flex for me? We've got power. This is the posture of power. There we go. There you go, Jerry. All right, anybody else? Yeah, all right, there we go. All right, that's good. The power, yeah, all right. We've got another. This is good. This is good. Good job, Matthew. So we've got this posture of power, and how many of you know that the power does not come from us? It comes from God. Good job, Wyatt. Thank you. Yeah, because how easy is it to go like this to like this? be like, I got it. I'm good, God. It's very easy. And we know that we're standing because God raised us up. We go from this posture of humility. We're crushed. We're distraught from the worries of this world. We have to cast our cares on Him. All right, we'll do that. We'll, we'll get forgiveness. We'll seek Him. But then we get up. We get the power. And we're standing on His promises. We're standing on the rock. There's no other solid ground besides Jesus. And God raised David back up to do mighty acts for him in his glory. And 
He showed grace to David. And grace, put simply for you today, is receiving what you do not deserve. Grace is getting what you do not deserve. Let me give you some examples of grace for your life. Grace is our daily breath. Grace is our daily blessings. Because we truly wake up every day blessed, don't we? Grace is eternal life after this life. And grace is all these things we do not deserve. Now I want to look at grace for David's life. And I'm going to have three points, but it's, these are three things that wouldn't have happened if it wasn't for God's grace in David's life, in this sin. Number one, we have an example of repentance and forgiveness in Psalm 51. And Grandpa read it for us last week and preached on it, talked about it in Psalm 51. I want to read two verses for you. Verses 16 and 17 of Psalm 51. It's talking about brokenness. It says, For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. If you're not pleased with a burnt offering, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O Lord, you will not despise. What God desires from us is true brokenness. He requires broken and contrite hearts. In Matthew 5.3, Jesus kicks off the Sermon on the Mount with the Beatitudes. And the first Beatitude rings a powerful truth for our lives. He says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You see, those who enter the kingdom of heaven are the Davids, not the Saul's. Like Grandpa said, and this will be the quote on the screen now, David was a great sinner, but he was also a great repenter. So we wouldn't have Psalm 51. We also wouldn't have the life and wisdom of Solomon. Solomon was the son of Bathsheba and became the next king of Israel. Solomon asked God for wisdom and became the wisest man who ever lived. Solomon fulfilled God's promises of reigning over Israel in a time of peace and building a beautiful, elaborate temple to host the presence of God. And all these things would not have happened without God's grace. I'm going to give you one more. This is the most important one. You'll like this one the best. You all know him. It's Jesus. Without God's grace, we wouldn't have Jesus because Jesus is from the line of David through his son Solomon. God is good. I'm, I like Jesus. I'm thankful for him. And I believe this is the greatest example of God's grace in David's life. That even though he committed this great sin, he did not withhold his son being in the lineage of him and coming to us to save the world. It is by God's grace that we are saved through faith in Jesus Christ. And notice I didn't say it was because of David's great sin we get Psalm 51, Solomon, Jesus. It's not the sin. It's God's grace. It's God's grace that we have all these things, and most importantly, Jesus. It is God's grace that he uses broken people like me. Broken people like all of us. And remember the three postures from today. We have the posture of pride where we will not, we will not be tamed. We will not be seated. We will not humble ourselves before God, but then we have this hospital, ho posture of humility where we are seated down, we are repentant, and we have a right heart before God, and then he raises up under his power. But again, how easy is it to just go through the motions? I want to live under his power. I want to stay humble before God so he can use me and do what he calls me to do. 
And as I conclude the sermon for today, I want to give you an opportunity to respond. And I want you to come under God's power. Because we all need God's power for our lives. We can't do it without Him. Lord knows we try. But you have to come broken. And I want to make one more point for you today, and this is very powerful. This ties it all together. Many of us get worried after a sermon about God's school of submission, and we just finish the tour, the bus has stopped, we're getting off. And we think that we, this sermon about having to come broken, that we need God to break us. How many of you know we're already broken? We don't need God to break us. That's, that's silly. We have to admit that we are broken. We need to humble ourselves before our almighty God. My closing verse for you is 2 Chronicles 7.14. It says, If my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear them from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their that is the promise of God for you. That's the promise of God for our nation. Thank you, Jesus. That is what we need. We need a healing. And let me, let me just get personal and tell you my cry for our generation, the cry of the generation that I'm going to be a pastor for, is that we would stop thinking it's about us. And we would realize that it's all about Jesus. That's it. Let's let go of the pride. Let's humble ourselves. It's all about Jesus. And I want to take a moment and share with you a kind of confession. I prayed about this last night, whether I should share it, and he told, said, go for it, Luke. And so I'm just letting the Spirit lead. But I feel very fake being in here. And let me explain. I feel very fake that I'm up here because I know who I was a couple years ago. I know that I couldn't do this a couple years ago. I didn't know where I was. I didn't know what I was doing. And, of course, I had that call to be a pastor. But let me tell you, I didn't really want it. I didn't want to be a pastor, and I knew I couldn't just go into the church that Sunday and be like, I'm your pastor. You're welcome. God sent me. I was like, I was a kid. But I had this moment, I had moments in my life where God's making me into somebody I don't recognize. He's changing me. He's making me more like Jesus. And I think that's why I feel fake is because I know that it's God through me. It's not me. And I hope, I hope you realize this for your own life is that we'll feel so fake. Like, what are we doing? This is not me. I don't recognize myself. It's because we're under God's power. And I'm not trying to brag. I hope you see that. I hope that you see that it's God's power because I know that I would not have been able to preach a year ago. I wouldn't have been able to preach maybe even a month ago. God just started these thoughts in my heart and my mind and I'm going to Bible college. I'm trying to do the right thing, but I know that I mess up every day and every day I want to quit because I know how hard it is. I know hard, how hard it gets when God calls you. And in life in general, it's just hard. And if I wasn't following God, it would be hard either way, so I decided to follow Him at a very early age. I guess what I'm trying to say is I'm just thankful it's God through me and I didn't just go up here and try to do it on my own. Because I get very nervous, I shake before I come up, but I know that it's God's power because I would not be able to talk to you like this and communicate God's Word without Him. And I'm humbled. I'm very humbled before you today that I can do this, that I have my blessing, that I'm getting married to the most beautiful girl I've ever seen in my life. I am just so humbled. And God is so good. And how many of you are humbled today by God's goodness? You just say for your own life, you can relate like, man, God has been good. God has been good. It might not be perfect, but I didn't, I didn't ask for that. I just asked 
for God's blessing to be on me. And that's all I want. I just want to wake up every day blessed. Like, wake up. Man, life is good. Man, we're going to have some hardships today, but man, God is with me. He is good. How many of you are ready to pray and seek God's face and to turn from our wicked ways, to humble ourselves before God? I'm going to invite you to get into a posture of humility as I close. Remember, we talked about the posture of humility, and we go from pride to humility. And if you sit, you can even stand. Get under God's power, whatever you'd want to do. I just invite you at this time to get into a posture of humility. Raise your hands. Do what you want. Connect with God. Don't worry about what anybody else is doing. Focus on God. Thank you, God. I'm going to pray for you because if you're ready to receive, I'm ready to pray for you. And as I pray, I know God is ready to hear us, forgive us, and heal our land. Amen. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for your goodness in our lives. We know that it's by your grace that we're here and we can do what we're called to do. There's no other way, God. Make us like David. Heal us from heaven, God, creating us a pure spirit within us, God. And I pray for every individual in this room. I pray that they would go into this week with power from on high. I pray for every situation that they're dealing with to be taken care of by Jesus, every sickness covered by the blood of Jesus, every financial need covered by you, God. Because you have a cattle on a thousand hills, God. You can provide. You are our provider. God, thank you for being our healer. Thank you for hearing us from heaven today. I pray for a mighty touch for every person in this room. Thank you for the people that said, I'm going to humble myself and seek God's face. I pray that you will hear us from heaven, forgive us, and heal our land. We need you so desperately. We love you, Jesus. We thank you for today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Good job. Hallelujah. Let's stand, shall we?